Hello, and welcome to Artistas in the Capital. My name is Norma Sorto, and I'm your host for Ola Cotura's brand new monthly podcast, featuring interviews with Latinx artists in the Washington area. Have you ever thought of an idea, something that should exist, but doesn't, and proceed to make it a reality? Our guests for this episode are two Latinas who did just that. In today's U.S. society, the importance of ethnic and racial representation is widely accepted. This consensus has pushed more businesses to create new products and generally do more to show that they see and value all of their diverse customers. Latino-owned businesses, however, make up only about 6.5% of all businesses in the United States, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. While Hispanic-owned businesses have grown by 34% from 2010 to 2020, Latinos make up nearly one in five people in the U.S., leaving room for growth in the business sector. Maria Victoria Abrejo Jugar and Marie Claire Vasquez Duran saw one category in particular that lacked representation and decided to take matters into their own hands. Maria Victoria and Marie Claire are the co-founders of Dutiru, a games company centered on making games representing Latino culture. During the pandemic, they noticed few games that accurately presented Latino culture. So they took action and started a games brand. While there have been challenges along the way, they say the passion they bring to their business is what keeps them going. Here's our interview with Maria Victoria and Marie Claire, conducted by spell participant Aline Wong back in July of 2022. Okay, so I guess the first question would be if you guys could introduce yourself in your own words. Well, I'm Marie Claire, and I'm originally from the Dominican Republic. You will hear Maria say the same. It's part of what joins us in some similarities. And I grew up there. I moved to the United States back in 2008. I came here for grad school. And then I went to school for international political economy, which has really not much to do with what I do now, both with Dutidu and with my other entrepreneurial project. However, it did shape a lot of my abilities to think, to know how to do research, to know how to think broadly in very international terms, when you come from a small island, like the perspective can be quite boxed, you know, and the minute that you step out of your little nation and get here and like interact with people from all over the world, I started to see the world in a very different way immediately. So anyway, I went through that process of getting my master's and getting my PhD. And I worked for a couple of years at the Inter-American Development Bank and the World Bank. And then something started sparking inside me, kind of like bothering me about how I was not doing things that were more related to the arts, which is part of my background growing up. So that, and I also wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew that I was always creating businesses in my mind and I just needed the right moment to get one started. So I decided to create my other entrepreneurial project that has to do with destination weddings. And I've been doing that now for close to nine years, and it's been a lot of fun. And then Maria and I had met each other when we were back in the Dominican Republic doing economics in college, different years, but we connected. And we 
found each other again, not only because I got to do Maria's wedding, but also because during the pandemic, we saw a necessity and we reconnected for that purpose and then started this other business together, which we'll get to tell you more about later. Well, I'm Maria Victoria Abreu Jugar. I am also originally from Dominican Republic, and I also studied economics. I did two master's degree, one in Spain with international cooperation for development and another in New York in Fordham University for international political economy and development. And I did work in nonprofits and international organizations for many, many years. My whole career was dedicated to international cooperation and development, sustainable development. But I always had the bicho raro, as we say in Spanish, like that weird bug of being an entrepreneur and wanting to create things. I did a couple of things back in the DR, but I never really saw myself as an entrepreneur until I met Marie Claire and we decided to do Duty Do together. So in a nutshell, that's me. I'm married. I have a son. I live in Maryland. And that's it. So I heard your explanation for why you decided to name it Lutidu, which I thought it was so cool that it was like based on onomatopoeia. So I wanted to know what's the inspiration behind your logo, which is kind of like the rounded triangle. We wanted something playful as the name of Lutidu itself, but we wanted something playful, colorful, you know what I mean? Like we thought a lot about symbols and the international play symbol. It's a triangle. So the graphic designer play with that. And then the colorful design of the logo itself, it's basically it. So you both have children, and you said that during the pandemic, you kind of noticed that there was a gap in the market for passing on culture through games. Either like you couldn't find it or it was stereotypical. So why did you decide to fill the gap? Because sometimes people will see problems, but they won't create the solution. So why did you decide to create the solution? I think it's the fact that we both are dreamers, you know, because we can see the issue. And then, as you say, very easily say, oh, so sad that there's not something like this in the market. And if we really stopped and thought long and hard for what are all of the challenges that we've lived through in the last two years and that for sure are coming. Like if we were to pause and just think about that part, we're not going to do nothing. Of course, it's hard to start anything and to put your heart, your mind and your money into a project of this kind it's hard but we are the ones who think more of oh my god this is so awesome what we're doing and it will take time but we'll get there and we decided that we have both been here in the U.S. for too long to know that maybe if we don't do it ourselves I don't know when else somebody's going to think about this you know we saw an opportunity that was not being exploited at all there's a lot that we've been seeing in the last couple of years in regards to books. It's amazing how much representation we're seeing in the press industry through kids' book and whatnot. But the games in itself, we thought that we just had an opportunity and we wanted to do it before our kids get old. Because then it's great. We're going to fill it for other people. And that's a big part of the idea. But our inspiration were our kids. So the fact that we can now get to sit down and use our own games to play with our kids, it's pretty fulfilling, you know, in a very personal way that goes beyond whatever entrepreneurial desires we have. Since entrepreneurship is a little bit risky in itself, what are some challenges that you think you faced because of the virtual environment we were in for the last two years? If anything, we think that the pandemic or everything that we've been through in the past few years 
inspired the brand. Like it made us think about the opportunity because we were in that situation. We were stuck in our houses with our kids and all of a sudden we had more time than usual to play with them and the frustration of going to these places or I remember one day I walked through the toy aisles of Target but back then there's nothing representing Latino culture, Hispanics, in the toys aisle in Target and that was so frustrating for me that it just had to happen. Like it was born because of the situation, not the other way around. So I noticed that right now you have the Fidia, the puzzle that is inspired by Latinx culture, and you also have the memory game for trajes típicos. So once you come up with ideas like this, where do you start researching like the trajes típicos or the things that you're going to include on your puzzle? We did a lot of the research ourselves. We're both researchers by nature, and the reality is that even though all of our countries are different and have their own cultures, right? Latino culture is the big one, but the subculture of each country is not something that we can claim to know as much as we know Dominican culture. At the same time, I think that we've both been exposed to a lot of international friendships and travel opportunities and whatnot. And the fact that we obviously speak Spanish, it didn't feel like something, like if I had to do that same thing for another part of the world, I would not feel like just doing a Google search. I'm not going to feel confident that I got it right, you know, because it feels so foreign to me, so different. So it's not my language. I don't even know where to search. But when it's our own culture, both in terms of including all of the nations, which ones would get more than one and some attires versus elements, you know, like we had a collective talk about all of this and try to come up with the best collection we could, considering that we were just going to do 36 pairs for a total of 72 tiles. So besides any research that you guys personally did, like whether online or through books, did you have the chance to maybe speak to relatives or go to like any museums that feature these? We didn't go to museums, but we did text our friends from some of the countries. Hey, what do you think if I choose this one? You know, like just going directly to the sources that we have. And even the names, because each tile has the name of the attire or the element that we're referring to. And we may, in Dominican Republic, refer to something completely different as in Colombia or Venezuela or Brazil. And we will ask them, like, what does this mean to you? Because we don't want it to be offensive or we don't want it to be misrepresenting something. So we did a lot of talking with friends from each country. Yeah, even the word for the title in the Dominican Republic, you would typically say traje típico. But traje is not a word that everybody uses the same way. So that's why we went for more universal. That might be less common for us as Dominicans to say atuendos latinos, but it's a little bit more universal to describe what we were trying to describe. So that's part of what Maria was just telling you about. So you mentioned that you were working like really closely with the illustrator who was also helping you with the memory game. And I read on your bio that you mentioned that you guys collaborate with different Latinx artists. So what qualities do you look for in those artists when you are choosing people? First and foremost, our talent is exclusively Latino. We want to work with Latinx artists, our illustrators, our photographers. We work really hard to work with Latinx artists and talent in general. In terms of qualities, I think for us, it's very important to be responsive. So if we email that illustrator and we don't know about her for three, four weeks, eh, we don't know. We need someone that is efficient. 
we are very on top of things. So we want people to be like that with us. And I think that's probably one of the main characteristics, but also, of course, have to be open-minded in the sense of open to diversity and inclusion and representation and everything that we're trying to push with the brand as well. And it's also important in very practical terms that whomever we're working with understands the stage in which we are in our business. We appreciate those who understand that right now our capabilities are those of a startup, you know, and they see our project and believe in it and get excited about it. And that's quite important when anybody's a starting. You need to surround yourself by other people who believe in you for what your project is, not for what you can pay them. Um, that comes later. Maybe once you are so established and so high up, people will just do it because a paycheck is coming. But at the beginning, you need, you know, cheerleaders around you. I like how you mentioned that, like, enthusiasm is, like, really a key when you're trying to find the people to work with. What advice would you give to people who would like to become entrepreneurs? There's a lot to say, and I feel like the way that in which everybody sees entrepreneurship is quite personal. I can preach as much as I want to, yet it's going to feel very different depending on what are your circumstances and what is your project. But the one thing that will always be prevalent and that will sound as obvious as it can is you just have to start, even if you start small, but you have to start. I think that sometimes people see like 10, 20, 30 steps ahead and get overwhelmed by all of that. And the worst of it all is that until you start, you don't really know that it's not 30, 40 steps that are going to come your way. You're going to be like 120 and you will discover them as you go. But the point is that you have to take the first one. And once you take the first one, you just need to be willing to leave through the journey of trial and error, of making a lot of mistakes, of losing a lot of money, hopefully not, but potentially losing money by not the best decisions, by losing time, by losing, you know, you need to be willing to make the sacrifices, but at the same time, you need to be a smart entrepreneur. You don't go into an entrepreneurial project to lose the money or to lose the hours or to lose your life. So you need to try to be as organized as possible so that you can minimize all of those risks and negative factors that may come with starting something, whatever it may be. But you just need to be okay with those things happening because they happen to most of the people who actually start. And I think that sometimes you might be out there thinking about starting something and you hear the story of people who were like, you know, overnight successes. Those are typically not overnight successes. There's been a lot of failures behind the scenes that you might not even know about because not everybody likes to talk about that part. You know, there's this pressure in this day and age to, you know, showcase a version of you or your business that it's quite successful. And I understand why that is done because, you know, that can help you sell certain things. But at the same time, there's so many great podcasts out there and groups out there that will tell you the reality of what it's like being an entrepreneur. And it will walk you through the journey of what could be the average journey of any entrepreneur, that it's really not a straight line going up. But the point is, you have to just start and be willing to go through it and not quit at the first challenge because otherwise just don't start it because the challenge is going to come. I will add that you have to be passionate and personally connected to what you're going into, like to the business that you're starting. 
because if you do it just because it's a good business opportunity, seriously, it's going to be very hard, like harder than it already is. You have to have passion too and love what you're getting into. So what was your first challenge or something that you didn't expect about like this journey of entrepreneurship? I have one. How expensive the legal advice is. So yeah, that was a challenge for sure. Yeah, none of us had gone through any big legal experience in our life of having retained a lawyer for anything. So it was a little bit of a surprise to understand how they bill you. You know, you send them an email, they open it. You know, the clock is ticking and your bill is being added up and whatnot. So that was a big surprise. But at the same time, we recognize and we learned this as well, that you have to go to the expert in the field. Like everybody has a friend who's a lawyer or something like that. And as well-intentioned as they may be, sometimes they don't have the exact answer that you need. And that could cost you time, money, whatever. So it's an expense, but it's an important one that you just need to be ready for. So if you're listening to this, just think ahead. And then I would say that another challenge that we obviously live through, and this is going to be a surprise to nobody, is of course transportation. So the crisis of, you know, our first game, the puzzle was stuck at customs at the port, I don't know, for how many months. So we knew that it was here, we just couldn't get access to it. And that posed a challenge because we really wanted to market real, real big for Christmas and we missed it. We got it literally the week after Christmas. So that was quite unfortunate, but we knew that we were not alone in that. It was not that our container got lost or something. Everybody was going through the same. So I would say that if we had to summarize all of the challenges that we have had since we started this, I would say, as Maria said, legal fees and transportation delays. So I guess, how do you define success? For me, as Marie Claire, that's a very different answer that I would give if you were asking me for Dutido, because, you know, one thing is a person, another thing is a business. However, there's a lot of the same core values in my answer for both. However, because I know we're talking about Dutido here, I would say that the first thing about success for our business would be that what we're doing, we're proud of it. That when we look at this Atuendos Latinos, we think it was done with love, with care, with good research, that it's, you know, something that we're really proud of and that we know that could be impacting the life of lots of families. So that would be the first thing at an emotional level. But this is a business. So, of course, we dream about seeing Dutidu being a main brand that people will think about when they want to solve this issue at home. And the United States has so many Latinos families that are having to raise their kids outside of their culture. And we know that we can be part of the solution, you know, so we want to be the brand that people think when they want to bring something into their household that is entertainment. And at the same time, it's allowing them to connect with their kids and pass down the Latino cultures. And also just for the family in general, because some of the games, like the puzzle is a 500 piece puzzle. So it's not meant necessarily for the three year old or four year old that's going to play a matching game. So we want to see ourselves in Target. You know, we want to see ourselves in Barnes and Noble and in every place that we think that our customer could be there and that they could see us and immediately see themselves in that box. And when they see this, it's going to bring them joy, even if they were not to be able to buy it. Just the fact that they're going to go through that aisle in Target and see that somebody thought of them, you know, and that we created something for them, that it's pretty, nice quality, it's success to us, you know. And then we can talk about numbers and profits and margins, and that's another thing. But just 
at a high level, just knowing that we are making the difference that we had in mind when we created the Tidu, that's the first step to success. And I think everything else will come after that. And I agree with her because she speaks so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you see Dutidu going? Like, what's the next step for Dutidu? So you mentioned that you want to get into some specific stores. So I guess now, what games would you like to implement? Like, what new steps besides the specific stores that you would like to see your product in? Well, we do have dreams for a broader variety of games. We have dream of bingo, of playing cards, of other games that are family-oriented, not only for little kids. We are definitely going to go for that in the future. We're also thinking of getting angel investors to support our brand and support Dutidu in the future to expand it, not only to Latinos, family, Latinx families, but any family in the world that values multiculturality and wants to learn about Hispanics or Latino culture in general. We want to be there. We want to be that brand. Yes, we want to be in Target, we want to be in Barnes Noble, we want to be in paper stores, we want to be in all those stores, but we also want to be in every family, regardless of how they get it. We're already in Amazon, so that's success for us. <laughs> One step. Yeah, we want to invite everybody to go to dutidu.com and you can get it there by Amazon. Thank you, Maria Victoria and Marie Claire for your interview with Ola Cortura. Join us next month when we speak with artist and activist Cesar Maxi. For updates on episodes and Latinx events in the D.C. area, follow us on Instagram at DC. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Artistas in the Capital to get involved in Latinx arts, culture, and humanities in D.C. Sign up to join our SVOL program and visit olocotura.com. <laughs>